Good morning to you. Happy New Year. Or New Year's, however you like to say it. We um, spent a little time doing some strategic planning as elders, and we came to the conclusion that our strategic plan for this next year is to continue to trust the Lord. So that's our strategic plan. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn me to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at this morning. But I am uh, excited about the new, the new years, the new year. Uh, now I'm going to be so conscious about that, or conscious of that all morning. So I'll say it in probably two or three different ways. But I am excited about uh, the new year holiday, uh, about the new year that's in front of us today being uh, January 1st. Uh, it is different as you, as you do get a little bit older. I did not find myself uh, really anticipating staying up late last night. There were no pizza parties. There were no lock-ins. There were no... Uh, many of the things of my past, but just a nice quiet night, and you roll over and realize, hey, it's 12 o'clock, honey. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> Happy New Year. I'm going back to sleep. Um, life is a little different when you, as you change seasons. But um, anyway, it is exciting uh, to have a new year. Some uh, describe me as a fatal optimist. Um, I'm just always optimistic because ultimately, I know that God is in control of every aspect of my life. And so whether uh, whether I know or feel it's good in the moment, I know that all things work together for the good, for those who love and trust the Lord and who are called according to His purposes. And I am absolutely confident that I am called according to the purposes of the Lord and that I am His and He is mine. And so uh, I can be optimistic on January 1st that uh, 2023 is going to be the best year of my life. And um, it's going to be even better when it's the last year of my life. So whether that's 2023 or 2083, uh, however long it may be, whether we live or whether we die, we do belong to the Lord. And so this morning, as we come to Colossians 2, uh, we did not uh, craft a, a special New Year's sermon, but as uh, God always does, He just brings us to the right passage at the right time. And so I'm very excited about Colossians 2 and the, the subject that brings us to this morning and how it causes us to look at our life with Christ and how we walk with Christ. And so uh, one of the, the things about New Year's that I love is it is a time of assessment. Um, as a business owner, I love to assess where, where we are as a company and what's going to happen this next year. And you hear me use words like strategic planning sometimes, and that's a big part of, uh, of what we do in business. Uh, we think as elders of where we are and assess what uh, has, has happened this past year and Look forward to what the Lord's going to do this next year. And so January 1st is always just a time that you just think about. You assess what's happened. You look forward to what's going to happen this next year. Hopefully in your families, you think about what's going to happen this next year and you make some plans or some goals. Uh, you make some realistic goals, right? Uh, I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. That's probably not a good goal for you, okay? But maybe to, to live a healthier year, to make some better uh, plans or to think, think through things a little bit differently. But especially to look at the, this next year, to look at it full of optimism, but especially to look at it with an eye of assessment. And that's what we're going to see this morning as Paul encourages us to look at how we live our life in the, uh, in the life of Christ, of how we walk in the Lord. And so this is, what, this is where we're going to be this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, of course, we took last week off from Colossians as we were celebrating Christmas and Jesus being the Christmas light. Uh, a week before that, Evan started off uh, Colossians two, Colossians two, for us, the first few verses. Um, and so let's uh, let's go ahead and read. Let's do this. Let's read one through 
uh, 5 here. We're going to finish, kind of transition where Evan started us, uh, finish up that section, which then transitions us into our primary text, which is verses 6 and 7 this morning. So if we start back in Colossians 2.1, it says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray as we begin our time together. Lord, we do thank You for this morning. We thank You for a chance again on this January 1st, on this new year as 2023 begins, Lord. We thank You for this opportunity as we have done so every Sunday in 2022, to gather around your word, to gather with your people, to to sing with your people. We thank you for this opportunity. And so now, Lord, as we turn our attention uh, to your word, by your spirit, Lord, would you lead us and guide us? Would you encourage us? Would you exhort us? Would you point us to your truth? And most of all, would you exalt Christ? Would you keep me from error during this time? Let me pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this passage before we come to 6 and 7, as we finish up kind of this introduction of chapter 1, Paul is, so far he has just been very encouraging. He has been, he has been lifting up Christ. We've said one of the primary themes of Colossians is, is his Christological nature, is that it looks to Christ, it exalts Christ. It is so much about Christ. We're going to see another theme emerge this morning. But it's all about Christ, and he has not yet really been, been giving commands to the church at Colossae. We're going to see his first command this morning, but he has been making much of Jesus, and he's been making much of the church. And especially as you look there in Colossians 2, he is letting them know, even though I've not been with you and I've not been present, I've not been uh, in your congregation, I love you so much, I care for you, and I wish I was there with you, but... My desire for you is that you have this full assurance of understanding, it says there in verse 2, for the, and that you have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's not just saying, I love you guys for the sake of loving you. He said, I love you because you are part of the bride of Christ, and I desire us to know Christ even more. And he says in verse 4, I love it when Scripture is just very clear to us. He says, the reason I'm telling you all these things, the reason I'm telling you that I love you, the reason I'm telling you that I I desire for you to have this understanding, this knowledge of God is not just to puff you up, not just to give you an intellectual assent of who Christ is and these theological details. But I say this in verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
And we see this through almost every letter, every letter of Paul's writings. Every time he's addressing the church, he's always addressing the church in such a way to keep them from error, to protect them from wolves and sheep clothing, to protect them from the message that would slip into the church. And for the most part, which, what was true for the ancient Near East church is true for us today. They were not very susceptible just to blatant lies, right? And there are some accounts of that in, in, in the New Testament we see. But for the most part, he likely wasn't warning them from these blatant lies. He wasn't warning them from people who would, uh, would tell them things that would just be so contrary to the truth of God. But he wanted them to be so rooted in the understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, who is Christ, that they would be rooted, as we're going to see, and not just their love for Jesus, but in their understanding of Jesus, that they, may, that they may ward off these false teachers, and they would know what is truly the mystery of God. He was saying this in order that no one would delude them, would water them down with plausible arguments. And we see that so much today, these plausible arguments. And there is a delusion in the church And so we must guard ourselves. And how do we primarily guard ourselves? Not by knowing every heresy, not by knowing every false teaching, not by knowing everything that could be false, because that list is endless. And it's depressing, to be honest with you. It'll scratch your head if you're a believer. So how can people believe this? But the best way to protect ourselves from being deluded by these plausible arguments is to look to Christ, to see that He is the hidden treasure that has been revealed to His people today. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You just see this pastoral heart in Paul as he's writing from his, uh, his home prison there. He's writing to this church in Colossae that he's never met in person, but he has this genuine love for as they are the people of God. And he says, what I desire is that there is good order amongst you and that you are firm in your faith. That is what he wanted. That, is what his, that was his desire. And that should be our desire. Even as we think about this next year, of all the things that we could want, we think about, you know, all the things this year, right? How much money we're going to make, how we're going to travel, or uh, what our kids are going to do, or how healthy we're going to be, or all these different goals we may have, or these different plans or visions we may have, or these things we want to accomplish. Ultimately, our desire for ourselves, for each other, for this congregation, but it should be the same as Paul desired for the church at Colossae to rejoice to see one another, to be found in good order, and that the firmness of our faith is in Christ. And so Paul is setting this up. He is he's letting them know that I love you guys. I love this church. I love Christ. He is everything. And we must look to Him in order to be rooted, to be ordered, to be grounded, in order to be firm in our faith. Now this takes us to verse 6, which is our main emphasis this morning it says therefore and caroline i'm looking at you whenever we see therefore what do we ask what's it there for i haven't asked that question in a while it's a new year so there's your question when you see therefore in scripture we ask what's it there for and so he's been laying this groundwork in these first not just these previous few verses but really these these first couple chapters here 
So he's, as he's been making this groundwork for who Christ is and who the church is and our need of Him. This therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, now here's His first command. Here's His first positive command that we see in Colossians that He is telling the church to do. So walk in Him. So you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. We know who He's speaking to. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to those who have been saved by Christ. Those who have received Jesus uh, as Lord, and not just even those who have been converted, but those who have, who have heard of Christ, though, have been passed on this message of Jesus, as we'll talk about in a moment. And these who know Jesus, who have been saved by Jesus, what are we to do? We are to walk in Him. And he says four things here, and this is going to be, I love it whenever uh, the points are just there. You don't have to make them up. No alliteration needed this morning. Um, it says, we're going to walk in Him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. So there's our four points that we're going to look at this morning as we, uh, as we talk about what it means to walk in Christ. This is really, as you look at as Paul always has these long sentences, as you look at the heart of it, the subject and verb of this sentence is very simple. The verb is walk. And it's an imperative sentence. And I know it's January 1st. I know those of you who are still in school, imperative, you done checked out, you know what that means, right? It means that there's an implied subject. And that implied subject is you. So you walk. That is, that is the whole thing here. As Paul is talking about all these things, he's going to say how we're going to walk and who Christ is. Ultimately, verse 6 and 7 is about us walking. It says you walk. So to walk in Christ. It is the imperative that Paul is giving to the church at Colossae. It is the same imperative that the Spirit gives to the church in North Hills today in 2023. And we are to walk. And it is a very common uh, analogy, very common metaphor, if you will, that is used so much throughout Scripture is to walk. Walking with God is one of the earliest pictures of our relationship with the Lord. We don't have to turn to all these, but just a few references. You see, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, Enoch walked with God. One chapter over in Genesis 6, 9, Noah walked with God. Go with me to Genesis 48. This is one that is worth turning to. Genesis chapter 48. And this is a new year, but the plan's the same. We're going to turn to all kind of places in the Bible. So if you're new with us, get used to that. We're going to flip this morning. But Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, where Jacob is blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. In verse 15 there, and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. We see this imagery. Uh, even this imagery when you combine walking and shepherd, and we, we know the, the beautiful imagery of Psalm 23. Go over just a few books to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways 
And by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And so we see this beautiful passage for that God is delivering from, from, through Moses to his people. It is this imagery again of walking with God. It reflects this, this life that we have with the Lord. Go to the New Testament, over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Again, this is not just an Old Testament. This is the New Testament. This is a, a continual picture that we see in God's Word of what it means to walk with the Lord. Two more passages. Go with me to 3 John, verse 4. 3 John, verse 4 says this, I have no greater joy, John says, <clears throat> than to hear... Access back, back up to verse 3. For I rejoice greatly... When the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear <clears throat> that my children are walking in the truth. So this is not just a Paul thing. This is what it means for believers to walk with the Lord. Even a kind of a somewhat modern um, analogy of even what this word means, this word that we, that we see here in Colossians chapter 1 of to walk to, to live uh, in Him actually means to walk about. Now, not many of you, I know the older I get, the fewer, fewer people know about the great crocodile Dundee. But he was uh, known for dealing with the Aborigine people. And they had a walkabout. I just read this little section I, I found interesting in my studies. Among the Aborigine people in Australia, males go on a walkabout as part of their rite of passage into manhood. They travel alone across their land to become familiar with it and thus a part of it. The Greek word for live here literally means to walk about. According to Paul, our trust in the received gospel of God's grace through Christ results in a walkabout in Him. We become familiar with Him and a part of Him. And so our life is this walkabout in Christ. Your walk with the Lord does not describe the spiritual part of your life. And I hear this a lot, right? Been a pastor now for, I don't know, I stopped counting. Y'all can do the math, 1999 to whatever this year is. 97. 97 to this year. I've heard so many people describe their life in terms of my spiritual life. But your walk with the Lord does not describe your spirit, the spiritual part of your life. It describes your life as a whole. Your walk with God describes your life as a whole. If you are not walking with the Lord in faith, then nothing else matters. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't have a walk with the Lord. I don't know what that means then that's the only thing that matters in your life is to understand what it means to walk with the Lord in faith. 
doesn't matter what you accomplished last year. doesn't matter what your goals are this year. doesn't matter what wealth you can achieve or what status you can climb to. If you are not walking with the Lord in faith, nothing else matters. And if you are walking with the Lord like many of us in here this morning are, then that one relationship, it affects and permeates every aspect of our life. So there's no my walk with the the Lord over here and my, my walk without the Lord over here. It is our walk. It is our walkabout. Our walk with the Lord describes our life and our interaction and how we walk with the Lord, how we keep in step with the Spirit, how we walk in faith, how we trust Him in every aspect of our life. And so as we think about that as believers and we begin to assess our life by our walk with the Lord, how do we see our walk this past year? What is our hope for 2023? It is that our walk with the Lord is a faithful walk. It is that our walk, as we're about to say in just a moment, is rooted and built up and established in the faith and abounding in thanksgiving. Because here's the beauty. Paul doesn't just tell us to walk with Christ. He tells us how to walk with Christ. He tells us how we are to do so. He uses four, and here's your fancy word for those who are taking a break from school. He uses four participles. He uses four words in verse 7 that mirror what he's already said in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He really wants his people to get it. So when you look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so he revisits this very same thought of walking with the Lord and how we walk with Him. So how do we walk with the Lord? Four things. First is this, rooted. We walk with the Lord rooted. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted. Rooted. What does that mean? Walk rooted. If my feet are rooted, I cannot walk. (laughs) They are planted to the ground. Roots are a source of life itself. It is a source of life security and identity go with me real quick to ephesians ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 before we even look at how we are rooted let us look at what we are rooted in ephesians 3 17 let's start verse 14 for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So what are we rooted in? We are rooted in the love of God. 
Everything that Christ has done for us, He has done because He loves us. Every single thing is because of love, because God loves us. He has loved His people. He has lavished His love upon us so much that Christ died for His people. And greater love had no man than this, and He laid down His life. And so we are rooted in the love of God. And so these roots, they're a source of life, security, and identity. So I love this, this thought. And so we're just going to turn real quick to a few passages. We're going to be in Psalm, John, and 2 Timothy. Just to give you a little heads up because we're going to go kind of fast. Psalm 1. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 1. If you are on the common reading plan where you read a psalm every day, then you may have read Psalm 1 this morning as it is the first day of January. These first few verses, we're going to see a couple of these things pop back up. Blessed is the man who what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted or rooted, you could say, by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So whenever Paul says that we are to be rooted, how do we walk in him? We are rooted. We do so in a rooted fashion, recognizing that we are planted. And we are planted by streams of water because of love. Because God loves us and so he planted us. He did the work. He's a source of life our source of even this temporal life and our source of eternal life is Christ. But not just life, security. A root is a source of security. Go me to John chapter 15. We could just spend some time in John 15. It is a wonderful chapter. I love this passage, this, this imagery again of Christ being the true vine. But a few verses here starting in verse 4. That not only is the root a source of life. The root is a source of security. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit from apart from me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the, branch are, the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. So we see in, in John 15, there's this short glimpse of talking about Christ being the, the, the vine and we being the branches. Whenever we're connected to him, whenever we are plugged in to Christ, then not only is he our source of life, he is our source of security. He is our source of security. And so as we walk in Him, we are reminded that we are rooted in Him. Our source of life is in Christ. Our source of security is in Christ. And lastly, about this being rooted, it is our source of identity. Go with me to uh, you, this, what I would say, a simple verse that has this profound, um, profound meaning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Encourage us this morning. Second Timothy, if I can find it. 
Second Timothy chapter one, Paul is talking to his young pastor Timothy, and something we may not think about often as we think about roots. Not only they're a source of life and source of security, but they're a source of identity. Second Timothy one five says, we'll just start in verse three there. I thank God whom I serve as as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, don't mishear me this morning. As someone completely missaid years ago, there is no trickle-down effect. There is no, a grandmother was saved, my dad was a preacher, my uncle was a deacon, and that has trickled down to me, and that, that brings me into the body of Christ. That is not what Paul is talking about here. But he, he looks at Timothy's life, and he looks at his mother, and he looks at his grandmother, and he is thankful for the faith that has been in his family, this faith that has been delivered from his grandmother to his mother to him, that he is sure now dwells in his heart. Now, we know the source of life and the source of security is Christ. If your source of security is your grandmother's faith, you have no security. If your source of eternal life is in your occupation of your dad or your uncle, you have no eternal life. So our life and security is none other than Christ. And our identity is none other than Christ. So don't mishear me. But we should be grateful for the roots that we have and the roots that we are planting. And maybe some of you, to use the term, are first-generation Christians in your family. And maybe you don't have a mother or a grandmother. Maybe you have to go to gene, you know, genealogy.com. Is that the website? I forgot. Ancestry.com. They go to Ancestry.com and go back to like six generations to find someone who knew the Lord. But you know what? If Christ dwells inside of you, then you can plant roots for your children and your grandchildren. And the discipleship from faithful parenting alone has exponential implications. So we walk in Him. We walk in Christ rooted Roots are a source of life, a source of security, and they're a source of identity. But secondly, he says, built up. So we walk in the Lord, not just rooted, but we walk in Christ built up. And so he, he shifts now from this agricultural, from this farming uh, metaphor to a construction metaphor. Built up. And I love Paul. We're going to see he shifts these different types of metaphors in his first three words, but he is... There's this progression here. So we've laid the foundation as a root, and we know the roots are the foundation of any kind of plant. But now he says that we are to walk in Him built up. So what does it mean for Christ to build us up? What does it mean to walk in Christ being built up? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says we are, the, we are God's temple, the holiest of constructed buildings ever. Physical buildings, that is. God's temple. Ephesians 2, let's go there, it's just one book over. Ephesians, or two books over, sorry. Ephesians chapter 2. Beautiful passage here about this, how we are building of God. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens. This goes back to the mystery that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles weren't the cornerstone. The prophets weren't the cornerstone. But their message was the cornerstone. And what was their message? It was not a what, but a who. is Christ. He is the cornerstone of the building. He is the cornerstone of the foundation in whom the whole structure. What is the structure? The building of God. The people of God. This whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into this holy building in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the the Spirit. So we see as Paul reminds the Colossians, as he reminds the church elsewhere, that it's not just being rooted in Christ, it's being built up in Christ. Christ is not just our foundation. He is the means by which we grow, the means by which we are strengthened. We are being built up into the house of God. And as we, the people of God, as we are rooted in Christ, we begin to grow together further into the image of Jesus. So this next year, we are, if you're in Christ, you are going to be built up. As we'll see in a moment, really, it's not even your effort. It is Christ who is doing the building. It is Christ who has laid the foundation. He is building us up. And not just individually, but as the church. He's building us up as the holy temple of God. So how do we walk in Him? We walk in Him being rooted up. We walk in Him being built up. And it leads us to this third point, which is established in the faith is established in the faith. And so we see this progression, this progression. There's this foundation of being rooted, of being anchored. And then where there's this building up in Him, becoming more like Christ and looking more like Jesus and being the, 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 the church that God wants us to be and needs us to be to, to reach the nations and to bring Him glory. But after there's a foundation laid and after there's a building built, and it says, then it's established. It is established. Some would even say this goes into a legal term. And so Paul gives us three realms here. He gives us the, the farming realm, and he gives us the, the construction realm, and he gives us this legal realm of being established. But there is this clear progression here. This culmination of being rooted up and built up in Christ. And, and what does it culminate to? Us being established in the faith. Us being secure in the faith. Us being in Him. Our security as saints. Our confidence as Christians. Our boldness as believers. Our resolve as the righteous of God come from being established in the faith. It has not come in our ability. It has not come in our decisions. It has not come in our own strength. It has not come in our resolve to keep resolutions in 2023. It comes in Christ who has rooted us and built us up and has now established us in the faith. Paul's concern here for the Colossians is that 
They would not be swept away by these false teachers and this false doctrine. That they would behold the majesty, the beauty, and the truth of Christ. And Paul knows they need to be reminded who they are and whose they are. Any doctrines or teachers that would take them away from exalting Christ, these Colossians would reject because they are being reminded and, and pointed back towards and exhorted to the fact they are to walk in Christ. They are rooted in Him, rooted in Him and built up in Him, and they are established in the faith. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful aspects of, of this passage. Throw another English term here for you. You're all ready for this. I've, I've warmed you up, okay? We talked about participles, and we talked about the first thing, and I forgot what the first English lesson was. But now it's passive voice. Oh, why are we talking about English this morning? I still got three days before school. But these first three words here, being rooted and built up and established, these are in the passive uh, form, in the passive voice, which means someone is not actively doing anything. The Colossians are not the ones who are actively rooting themselves or building themselves up, or establishing themselves in the faith. We do not root ourselves. But we have been rooted in the faith by God Himself. We do not build ourselves up. But we are built up by the active work of the Lord in our life. And we do not establish ourselves in the faith. But we are established in the faith by the work of Christ. But sometimes we sure do live like and believe like it is up to us in our effort. But oh, the relief that it comes when we look to Jesus and know that this is passive. That He is, he is the one who is actively at work to root us, to build us, and to establish us. It is Christ. And so Paul is reminding them, and these original audience, the original audience, they would have heard this clearly. They would have seen this in the writing. They would have understood this whenever it was being read to them. That this is not their effort. And I still encounter this all the time. This idea of effort. That if I just do enough, then I can be right with God. If I just do this, then I'll be in a better stance with God. How can you ever be in a better position with God than what Christ has done for us? Can you do any more than Christ has done on the cross and through His resurrection? No. As we come every week and remember the body and the blood of Jesus, there's nothing we can add to our righteousness. There is nothing we can add to our foundation in Him. And it's not up to us. It is us looking to the Lord and knowing that He is actively at work today in us to root us, to build us, and to establish us. We are a recipient of God's mighty work in our lives. But now the voice changes. Now it goes from passive to active. So this passive voice of being rooted and built up and established just as you were taught, and here's the active voice, abounding in thanksgiving. And so there's these two active um, 
These two active words, these two active voice words in 6 and 7. The first one is to walk in Him. We are commanded to walk in Him. And how do we walk? We walk being rooted and built up and established in the faith. But the second active command here, or the, not necessarily command, the second active, our part, what we do here, we are abound in thanksgiving. We are a people who are grateful. We are thankful. And we're going to see this is a theme in Colossians. Not only is the uh, Christological nature of, uh, of Christ here and lifting up Christ a theme in Colossians, but a, a spirit of thanksgiving. We're going to see it in every chapter in Colossians. That Paul is reminding the people to have a, a spirit of thanksgiving. And we should be a people of thanksgiving. A few passages for us. Hebrews, you don't have to turn there for sake of time this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, 28 and 29 says this, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we are thankful because His kingdom cannot be shaken. We are thankful because it is a foundation that cannot be moved. The psalmist says in Psalm 107, 21, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind, for what He has done for us and all that He has done actively in our life because of His unfailing love. We are thankful. That is our response. 1 Chronicles 16.8 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make known His deeds among the people. So why do we make known His deeds among the people? Because of what He's done for us. In a spirit of thanksgiving, in a spirit of gratitude. And how does this affect our life in 2023? It should affect it immensely. That we should be a people of thanksgiving. I love how the holidays set us up for the new year. I mean, if you're not ready for the new year at this point, I don't know what you've been doing for the past two months, okay? I mean, starting with Thanksgiving, right? I just get stoked. I mean, it's just not because the food. Yeah, it's a great thing. I've gained so much weight in the past two weeks. It's just, it's embarrassing, okay? Tomorrow, it's on. But ever since Thanksgiving, more than the food, more than the family, more than games, more than all the, the change of the schedule, and more than all the different things that come with the, the byproducts of the holidays, come with a, 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 a realignment of our attitude. Because we're a realignment of our attention. And hopefully even a realignment of our affections. That we become to be so aware of what we're thankful for and all that Christ has done for us. And then we come into December and Advent comes and we are intentionally thankful thankful and, uh, and, and, and mindful of what Christ has done for us. And then we spend time in Christmas and remembering all that Christ has done and how He's come and His second coming. And all of this should be stirring in our hearts. And come January, we should be ready, right? Let's get back to work. Let's get back to our schedule. Let's get back to our rhythm. So that we can live lives that are thankful and grateful for all that Christ has done. That you don't have to spend the past two months assessing all that you didn't do this year and the guilt that comes with that, but that you can be reminded of what Christ has done 
in eternity past, in eternity future, and that you can rest in that. And that He invites you to join Him. He invites you to rest in His rooting and building and establishing of us in the faith. Paul doesn't just say to be thankful, though. He says that we are to abound in our thanksgiving. Just as you were taught, it says, abounding in thanksgiving. Because I'm thankful sometimes. I was thankful of thanksgiving. I went around the table and I said some things and I maybe wrote some stuff down for this next year. But are we abounding in thanksgiving? I'm convinced that one of the, the number one traits that, that sets a believer apart is their attitude of thanksgiving. Because we just live in a world that's easy to complain, right? It's easy to grumble. It's easy to be discontent. It's easy to think about what you don't have. Because we're reminded every second of the day of what we don't have. But we are people who should be abounding in thanksgiving. When you say, well, John, you don't know what I lost this year. You don't know who I lost this year. You don't know what I lack in my life. Well, I would challenge you and say, you don't know what you have in your life then. Is Christ enough? And yes, He is enough. And because Christ is enough, we should be a people who are abounding in thanksgiving. And your co-workers and your family, your children, your neighbors, the people at Walmarts, everybody around you should see in you this spirit of thanksgiving. I know we're not perfect. I know we're going to be grumpy. I know you, know, you don't want to go to Walmart. I get that. But our life should be characterized as those who are thankful and grateful for what Christ has done for us. I'll steal a, a cheesy word from a fellow pastor of mine that we are to be a people of thanks living. We should be a people that we are a living testimony to the thankfulness that we have to all that Christ has done. And so may we be a people of thanks living. And let this be our desire as we start this new year. That it shows in our hearts, it shows in our faces, it shows in our words, it shows in how we treat people, it shows in every aspect of our life. Because we are reminded that we walk in Christ, rooted and built up and established by Him, through Him, and for Him. And our response is to abound in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank You for this morning. I thank You for a chance to turn to Your Word. Thank You for a chance to be reminded of what You have done for us and how we are rooted and built up and established. And, and Lord, may we just be so reminded this morning to be a people who are so thankful in every aspect of our life. And oh Lord, how we can be thankful in every moment because of what Christ has done. And He is enough. So Lord, in these uh, next few moments, as we sing, as we come to the communion table, as we have an opportunity to give, as we leave this place, Lord, and we do all of these things as those who are abounding in thanksgiving. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.